spot, so sometimes going ahead is the tactic used by the offensive tournament. Here's Rod Brindamore, chips the puck, he scores! Brindamore finally got one underneath Chris Huey, and the Carolina Hurricanes still have life. They pulled into a 1-1 tie. Brindamore hands on back to Stahl, then to Hedekin. Then Stahl with a shot, knocked down in front by the defense, scramble for it there. Coming by Brindamore, he scores! a tough penalty but one that's in the books Carolina finds the puck right in front Fitzpatrick didn't know where it was Brindamore got there after Justin Williams created all the attention and Brindamore the captain gives his team the lead this is the Canes Corner podcast with host Adam Gold Presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. The Canes Corner Podcast is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I'm Adam Gold. Hope you're planning a great 4th of July weekend. Maybe out on a lake, ocean, mountain, don't care. Enjoy it the best you can. A uh, lot coming up here on the Canes Corner Podcast in the next several days. The draft is, what, the 8th, right? Next week, I guess next Friday is the draft. Uh, we actually have two podcasts scheduled, this one, and then another that will drop either Tuesday or Wednesday of next week that will deal with prospects, and we'll hear from Jack Drury in that one. Uh, so we have one to kind of keep your eye on coming out in just about four or five days. In this one, we'll deal with the head coach who got snubbed again for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Absolutely deserving. We'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll talk to Chuck Caton about it because Chuck Caton would know Chuck Caton himself is a Hall of Famer. Before I give you my thoughts on Rod Brindamore, a couple of other things that I want to get to. Uh, First is really bad news Overall, for um, sports fans here in Raleigh, here in North Carolina, in that the state legislature uh, could not figure out how to come to an agreement on a sports wagering bill. So it died, and it's not coming back unless, for some reason, they decide to call a special session of the General Assembly. That isn't probable. That isn't likely. So that means the next time the General Assembly meets will be after the first of the year. So we're talking about probably the summer before sports wagering is even dealt with here in North Carolina, which, of course, is comically stupid because the reasons given were all archaic out of 1955. Uh, Nothing good about gambling. Gambling is bad. It's evil. Tax on the poor. uh, Blah, blah, blah. Game fixing, point shaving. I just, I can't handle uneducated state representatives. I just can't. Is gambling a vice? Yes. 
It is. It is a vice. As is smoking, which is legal. As is drinking alcoholic beverages, which is legal. We play the lottery. People play bingo. People go uh, dabble in cryptocurrency. They day trade online. And we can't figure out how to get through the state legislature something that would benefit the state in terms of tax revenue. All you got to do is spend two seconds looking online and see how Indiana uh, and Iowa and New Jersey and Tennessee and Virginia, it doesn't have to be a ton of money, but it's money that the state can use. I'm not even sitting here telling you that it can go to education. I don't freaking care where it goes. There's simply no logical reason why a population that wants sports wagering or approves of sports wagering by nearly 60%. I think the latest poll that I saw was, and I could be wrong about the number, the basic numbers here, but this is what I think I saw last. And I don't know how old the poll was. 57% approved. 20% disapproved. And whatever the balance number is, 23%, did I get that right? Is like, eh, whatever. How is it possible that state representatives don't even listen to their own constituents? It's utter garbage. And it damages the competitiveness of this franchise economically. Tom Dundon's always going to spend to the cap. But in terms of other things at the arena that they want to do, like, wouldn't it be fun to be able to go to a game and maybe make a bet on your phone? You can bet a next goal, uh, next penalty. Uh, I don't know. Next, uh, next time Rod Brindamore opens up a new piece of gum, I don't care. Anyway, I don't need to rant about it. Um, should be legal. Uh, we shouldn't have to drive to uh, one of two reservations in Cherokee, North Carolina, to place a bet on a game. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's archaic, and it's 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 costly. It is costly, and if it doesn't change, it could be really damaging to a lot of things in this state. All right, uh, next case. Um, it took a while, but it looks like we're going to get to the finish line with um, uh, at least coming to a plan on improvements to the arena. PNC Arena needs updating. It needs modernization. It needs... Uh, expanded concourse. It needs better uh, concessions. It needs lounge areas. It simply needs to be more of a space where uh, you can entertain and not even have to go sit in your seat and watch the game. Lounge areas where the game is on. You can hang out. 
PNC Arena is nice. It's a really nice place to watch a hockey game. But it is about 15 years behind the times. And uh, it's time to renovate. They have plans to renovate it. But here's the problem. The plans that we've seen and the estimated cost, which was about $200 million, those are from three years ago. It ain't $200 million now. I'll bet you that number is between four and $500 million. That doesn't even count the infrastructure that needs to be um, put forth. Change the parking lot into a parking deck, more spots, less space. It's a lot of things that have to happen, and we need to get moving on it over at PNC Arena. So those things are happening. Uh, or at least going to happen, and we'll probably see some more concrete plans uh, for the renovation coming up pretty soon. Um, but we just got to keep moving on it, and um, I got news for you. It doesn't help that the General Assembly uh, was elected in 1952. Uh, all right, one uh, couple of other things uh, before I give you my thoughts on Rod Brindamore, who didn't get into the Hall of Fame again. Kane's preseason schedule uh, is out. They announced that. Uh, they're going to play six games in eight days. Maybe Martin Natchez will get uh, four of those games at center just to see if he can play it to the satisfaction of Rod Brindamore. Uh, September 27th, they will host the Tampa Bay Lightning. The 28th, they will, they will be in Tampa. The 29th, they will play at Florida. Day off, October 1st, home against Florida. Day off, home against Columbus on October 3rd. October 4th at Buffalo. That is your preseason schedule. Training camp begins uh, like the 21st, 22nd, something like that. Uh, And then they'll get into games, and then the season starts second week in October. Prospect camp, July 11th through the 14th. Should be uh, Should be interesting. We'll see maybe some draft picks there, but we'll also see Jack Drury there. Jack Drury, of course, just recently hoisted the Calder Cup. Chicago Wolves winning the American Hockey League title. Second time in four years, the Hurricanes' top minor league club was a was crowned champion. Drury was great. Josh Lavo was like Connor freaking McDavid in the minor leagues. Um, now, Levo is one of those really NHL veterans that played last year in the minors. And we saw Levo a couple of times with the Hurricanes. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility if the Canes can re-sign him that Josh Levo makes the team. I mean, a guy can still play a little bit. He's not going to play in your top six. But um, if Josh Levo can... I mean, there's no reason he can't play on a third or fourth line. So we'll see what happens. Stefan Nason had a good year down there. Uh, Andrew Podorowski continues to be a minor league uh, absolute machine in terms of scoring, but he's too small probably for the National Hockey League. But he's a really smart player, and who knows? Maybe one day he gets a chance. I just don't know uh, what their plans are for him, but I don't anticipate he's going to be in the NHL next year, barring uh, a rash of injuries. Um but we'll, it'll be cool to see Jack Drury, maybe Jamison Reese at the prospect camp, maybe a couple of others, maybe Scott Morrow will come in uh, for that. I would anticipate he would. Uh, so it's going to be should be a fun summer 
uh, for the Canes. He got the draft, uh, and then free agency begins about a week after the draft. Uh, I will just tell you this. I don't anticipate Carolina being active at all in free agency, certainly not early in free agency when the uh, when the bulk of the bad money is spent. And it's not all bad money. I shouldn't be that way. But uh, the Hurricanes are going to be bargain shopping, if anything, in free agency. It's just not the way they do business. And um, always keep this in mind. Um, the front office is thinking about this in two-year increments. And two years from now, Sebastian Ajo, Tavo Teravainen, and Brett Pesci are all going to be looking for raises. Uh, those are core members of your team. Uh, Ajo's going to go up a touch. Teravainen's going to go up a touch. Pesci's going to go up a touch, maybe even a shade more than a touch. But Seth Jarvis is going to go up a lot. Seth Jarvis is going to go from under one to, I mean, I think it's it's a safe bet that that number will be at least what Andrei Svechnikov got, which is 7.75. So uh, keep in mind that there is money that is going to be spent in a few years, and if they want to keep Brady Shea, uh, that number is, uh, is eh, may not go up, uh, but it's going to be pretty similar to what it is right now. Quick update on Tony D'Angelo before I give you my thoughts on Rod Brindamore, and then we'll hear from Chuck Gaten. So here's my feeling about Tony. Uh, This is what I have been kind of gathering in terms of intel. And my guess is that this is going to head to arbitration. But I also don't think that if that's that's where it appears like it's going to head, I think the Hurricanes will likely trade the rights to D'Angelo before it gets to arbitration. It just This is the way I read it. D'Angelo uh, had a really good year. Um, you know, for a while, he was almost a point of game, kind of waned at the end, it tailed off at the end. Uh, he had a great series against Boston. Mostly of that, most of that was at home, but he had a great series against Boston uh, and a terrible series against the Rangers. I mean, that's just fair. Uh, And the Hurricanes do not look at Tony D'Angelo as a bona fide top pair defenseman, even though he played with Jacob Slavin all year long. And I do not blame them for that. I like D'Angelo. Rod Brindamore likes D'Angelo. Tony's teammates like Tony. To me, I bring him back. But I bring him back on a deal that kind of protects the Hurricanes, not against... Tony misbehaving. It ain't about that. I have no I am in no way worried about Tony D'Angelo's behavior, which uh, we don't need to be the daddy state about this. Tony D'Angelo was a great teammate, a, a really good player this year, um, but has defensive limitations. And while a very competitive player and reliable, he still makes a lot of mistakes defensively. And uh, he's also small, which doesn't help him at times. Um, and if they're, if he's not producing points, then his value to the team is a little bit lower. Um, with that said, I think Tony fits very well uh, in definitely in your top five. He can play with Jacob Slavin. He might be better suited if there is a better option to play with Slavin. He might be better suited to a third pair. Um, but he can play. I have no problem with Tony D'Angelo, but 
there's no way that Tony D'Angelo is worth, let's just say, six to seven million dollars a year. And if you're at about 0.75 points a game as a defenseman, which is basically where he is, those guys get paid six to seven million dollars a year. Justin Falk is about right in the middle, like six, six and a half. Tory Krug is in that stretch, and Falk's not even a scorer at that level. So if that's the number that D'Angelo is looking for, it's not going to happen at Carolina. And if they're far enough apart, and I believe that Carolina looks at D'Angelo as, let's just say, a $4 million player, and I think that if D'Angelo would agree to a two-year, $8 million contract for a year for two years, or even three years, $12 million over three years, I think the Hurricanes bring him back. But I don't think the number is going to go markedly higher than that. And I think that's what Tony is looking for. Uh, History with this organization is that if they can't sign you to a contract, they trade you. Happened with Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin. And it will happen with Tony D'Angelo. So that's just my read on Tony. Uh, Some of the other guys... I don't anticipate any of the free agents coming back with the exception maybe Nino Niederreiter. I'm I'm talking about unrestricted free agents here. Nino, if he'll accept the deal, that's let's just say in the between seven and eight range over two years. I don't think the Hurricanes want to go longer than two years if they can help it. Um, If they are really moved and motivated to do so, they will go beyond two. But again, I keep talking about the two-year um, increment because in two years, bills are coming due. All right, real quick about the head coach, Rod Brindamore. Really no excuse for Rod Brindamore to not be in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the elite defensive players, centers, in the last 30 years of the NHL, two-time Selkie Award winner, got votes like, I don't know, seven or eight other years. And unlike a lot of other great defensive centers, Brindamore also was a productive offensive player. And it's not like he's in the Gretzky realm. Nobody is saying that. But... Brindamore is simply uh, was a productive offensive player, great leader, all of that. But on top of it, he was simply a great defender. I mean, super on faceoffs, great. I mean, just incredible. Uh, you know, defensively responsible. But you throw all the defense, all the leadership. 1,484 games, 1,184 points. Nine times scored 25 or more goals in a season. Six times scored 70 or more points in a season. Captain the Stanley Cup champion. Should have been the Conn Smythe that year. I'll explain why in a second. And one of the best defensive centers ever. In the Stanley Cup year, Rod scored 12 goals in the 25 games. I mean, it's not, that's not an an otherworldly number, 
but 12 goals last I checked. A lot. Right? Of the 12 goals, nine either tied the game or gave Carolina the lead. He had four game-winning goals. Nine either tied the game or gave the Hurricanes the lead, and all of those goals came in the second period or later. Okay. So he didn't score the first goal in like a 4-3 win to give Carolina the lead. He scored the goal that made it, as you heard in the... Uh, in the open, he scored the goal midway through the third period in Montreal with Carolina trailing two games to none, one nothing in the third period. He scores the goal to tie it. Against Buffalo, he breaks a tie on the power play in the third period. Gives Carolina 3-2 lead. He scores late, picks up a loose puck after... Who was the uh, goaltender for Edmonton? I'm drawing a blank on the uh, Dwayne Rolison, who misplayed the puck behind the net. Brenda Moore was there, and he picks up the puck, and he shoves it in, and Carolina wins game 1-5-4. He just scored big goals. Six power play goals in the playoffs that year. So, productive and a great defender, and he can't get in the Hall of Fame. And here's two things about this before we get to Chuck Eaton. We'll we'll never know whether or not the committee worked against him. Ron Francis is on the Hall of Fame committee. There are 18 members on the Hall of Fame committee. I don't know if Ron Francis voted for Rod Brindamore or not. I think if you assumed that as they were teammates and Brindamore worked for Francis as an assistant coach while Francis was the general manager, if you assume that Ron voted for Rod, well, I mean, I can't tell you you're wrong, but I think you're wrong. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Comparing him to Daniel and Henrik Sedin, who went in on the first ballot this year, neither of those players were Rod's equal, even or even close to it, defensively. And Brenda Moore had better offensive numbers. Sedin had 1,041 points in 1,306 games. Well, Sedin. Daniel, Henrik, 1,070 points in 1,330 games. They scored at about the same rate. Rod had more goals than both of them. Rod had 452 goals. Daniel had 393. Henrik had 290. Those guys get in the first ballot. Rod's still waiting to get in. I've said this before. If the Sedins were not twins, I'm not sure either is in the Hall of Fame. But they're twins, so they are. So you got that. Um, and now I will compare Rod to two elite defensive players. Guy Carboneau, tremendous defensive player. 
for Montreal. 1,318 games, 260 goals, 663 points. So what you're telling me is that Rod had like 40% more points than Guy Carboneau. Carboneau's in the hall and Rod's not. Patrice Bergeron, who will come back for another year with Boston, by the way. 1,216 games, 400 goals, so only 52 behind Rod. 982 points, 200 points behind Rod. But I don't believe you're allowed to say Patrice Bergeron without pointing out that he is a future first ballot Hall of Famer. I am not here to disparage Patrice Bergeron at all. He might very well be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay, then why isn't Rod already in? I can't figure it out. All I can say is this. Just looking at it from a statistical standpoint. We selectively value defense in all areas of sports. I will use the Baseball Hall of Fame as an example. So it doesn't really matter if you're a great defender unless they want it to matter. So Ozzie Smith is in the Hall of Fame, not because of his bat. Omar Vizquel is not in the Hall of Fame. So, what's the difference? I mean, there are people who would argue that Vizquel is maybe not Ozzy's equal, but pretty close. And the difference is, we decided that Ozzy Smith's defense matters. For uh, Real quick, I know this is, has nothing to do with Rod Brendamore. Andrew Jones belongs in the Hall of Fame. Best defensive center I've ever seen. And pretty good hitter. Hit a bunch of home runs. Drove in a lot of runs. Should have been in the should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, back to hockey. If Bergeron's going in, Carbono's in, the Sedines tricked everybody to get in. Rod Brendamore belongs in. I'd like to think that it isn't because Rod doesn't have any advocates on the committee. But it kind of looks like he doesn't, including the guy that played that played with him and was his direct report, if you will. Uh, all right, that's my take on Rod Brindamore, the Hall of Famer's take on the future Hall of Famer, because I think he will get in in time. Chuck Caton on Rod. Yesterday, the Hockey Hall of Fame screwed up again. Uh, They did not elect Rod Brindamore to the Hall of Fame. They elected some wonderful, wonderful hockey players, none of whom were better than Rod Brindamore, but we'll get to that. With the authority, a Hall of Famer himself, Chuck Caton, voice of hockey. Uh, I appreciate your time, sir. Is Is it true that... 1,484 games, 1,184 points, nine times a 25 or more goal scorer, six times a 70-point or more contributor, two times Selkie Award winner, 
Stanley Cup champion, captain of that team, should have been Conn Smythe, was not good enough to get in the Hall of Fame? Oh, I'll tell you what, Adam, I am just flabbergasted here and very disappointed. Uh, and, I, and I'll throw some other stats at you right now. You've really done your homework, but here I've got some more things for our listeners. In seven game sevens in Stanley Cup finals since 1998, nobody, nobody has played more minutes than Rod Brindamore. Do you realize that? <laughs> All right, I'll give you another one. Of 44 players with 50 or more points playing 14 or more seasons, and by the way, Ron Francis is number one on this list, uh-huh. all but Rod Brindamore are or will be projected into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's number one in all-time face-off percentage in regular season play, right. and number three all-time in playoff face-off percentage, and they started keeping those stats in 1998. Right. And to add to what you were saying with all the other accolades, seven times he represented his country of Canada in different world stages, from the World Juniors to the the World Championships to the Olympics. I mean, I I just don't understand this, Adam, uh, how he didn't get – and I know he was nominated, and I know that the the person who nominated him on the committee – uh, is a very dear friend of mine, and I, I certainly obviously didn't have any influence on this at yeah. all. But he uh, thinks like we do, and like a lot of Hurricane fans do, that he justifiably should have been uh, named. Not even this year. It should have been in, even done in, in previous years. I had a conversation. Chuck Caton is joining us here on the Adam Gold Show. I had a conversation. It was either I think it was last year. It might have been two years ago when Jim Rutherford went in. Uh, and I text and, and, and you, you, you're close with Jim. I'm close with Jim. Uh, and I texted him. I'm like, how is he not in yet? And Jim assured me, be patient. He will get in. And I texted him yesterday. I, I, I said, what are your thoughts? Do you think he'll get in? He says, I am optimistic that he will get in this time. Apparently none of our optimism, uh, will work. My question is, if Guy Carboneau is in the Hall of Fame with 663 points, basically a point every other game for his career, and he's in there because of his defensive acumen, and if Patrice Bergeron is referred to as a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I'm not even arguing, how is Rod Brindamore not already in? Like, I, um, unless uh, Guy Carboneau was you know, three times Ozzie Smith, then there's no way he could be that much better than Rod defensively to where the fact that Rod has twice as many points doesn't get him in the Hall of Fame. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. That, that's unfathomable. And, uh, and I watched uh, both these gentlemen play. You know, I'm so old that I've seen everybody probably <laughs> play except, uh, except Eddie Shore. But anyway... Uh, no, Key Carbono was a fine two-way player, no doubt about it. But, uh, no, there's no way uh, that Rod Brindamore takes a back seat to either he or Patrice Bergeron, and I do agree with you that Bergeron will probably be uh, a, um, a first uh, ballot Hall of Famer if and when he retires. I hear he's going to probably sign for another year, yeah. so it'll be at least four years from now. But, anyway, this recency bias 
I believe, plays into it with the uh, members of the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. I don't know all 18 members, but, of course, it takes 14 of the 18 to rubber stamp you in. Uh, But this recency bias is getting, I I think, a little ridiculous here. Uh, You know, no due disrespect to Daniel Alfredson, but among uh, this year's uh, uh, potential inductees in November, that's the one I would question um, in terms of uh, it should be Rod Brindamore instead of Daniel Alfredson, in my humble opinion. I mean, Daniel Alfredson never won a Stanley Cup. Never mind character, because I understand that Daniel Alfredson and Rod Brindamore are two wonderful off-ice character captains for their team. Right. Uh, you know, that's probably an even call, right? But to, to me, you just cited the statistics at the beginning of this interview uh, that just blow people away uh, in terms of uh, Rod's uh, uh, worthiness. And it's just, again, it's mind-boggling. I, I don't have any answers for you there, Adam, but I, but I certainly concur with you and Mr. Rutherford. See, here's the thing about the the Sedins and Alfredson, and maybe we should change Rod's name to Rod Brindamore's son, uh, give him two S's and make him <laughs> Swedish, uh, because he would get it. I loved all three of those players who got in. Um, I'm not sure the Sedins are first ballot if they're not twins, because I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure either of them are better than Rod anyway. But no, nope. maybe because yeah. they're twins and they went two and three and they played their entire careers in Vancouver, uh, they get him. But let me throw this at you: Is it possible that we're dealing with a a Hurricanes anti uh, you know pushback? That you know, how can somebody who's like recognized now for being a Carolina Hurricane be in the Hall of Fame. Is that possible? I don't think so. I mean, I, I really uh, I, I don't believe that. I, I think that he had certainly uh, the makings of a very distinguished career uh, before uh, 2000 when he yep. joined the Hurricanes uh, with his time in Philadelphia. I mean, after all, he went to the Stanley Cup final as part of the that flyer team that lost to Detroit uh, in 1997. So, um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't think that has – I hope it doesn't have anything to do with it because uh, uh, if, if nothing else, uh, he's putting the Carolina Hurricanes further on the map with the way he's coached this team uh, for the last uh, four seasons. And I know that doesn't have anything to do with his playing career, but uh, – Again, I, I just shake my head and, and uh, can't understand uh, why or how much consideration he was given uh, uh, to this distinction. I know he was nominated. I know they talked about him, but I don't know how far it went, and I don't know how heated these uh, closed-door discussions become, Adam, uh, among the 18 members of the Hall of Fame committee. Man, uh, it's, it's sad because, look, you and I both know Rod pretty well. Uh, I don't think it's not, he's not going to lose sleep over it. He's not one that really, uh, cares all that much about his own legacy in that regard, but he knows he's good enough. Uh, and when you know you're good enough, it can't help, but be somewhere in the back of your mind and he deserves to get in. Uh, and I want that for him. He's as good a person, uh, as I know in the sport. So. He just deserves no, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I echo all of those sentiments completely. I mean, you can't find a better guy. And I guess the silver lining to this is that uh, 
unfortunately, we'll have something to uh, uh, rightfully complain about when it comes to uh, Hall of Fame selections if this continues. I mean, I again, I'm very, very surprised uh, that it has gone this long uh, with, yeah. that we've had to talk about this almost every year, Adam, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to vent to you and to the <laughs> listeners Thank you very much. about it. You know, because uh, you're right, uh, Rod Brindamore, they don't make him any better than that guy. I, we need you on the committee. I need Jim Rutherford on the committee. We need friends of Rod uh, on the committee. Real quick before I let you go, Chuck, uh, sure. some, somebody asked me this, and it's going to be a subject for a podcast in the very near future, and I might even reach out to you to discuss it. Uh, what are the next couple of numbers that go in the rafters? We've already got 17, 10, and 2. Rod, uh, Ron Francis, and Glenn Wesley. What are the next couple of numbers? Uh, 12 going to go up for Eric Stahl, 30 for Cam Ward. Is there another? Wow. I mean, that's that's a real good question. Uh, I, I certainly think both those guys deserve to have numbers uh, in the rafters. Uh, and then after that, uh, uh, boy, you're putting me on the spot here with uh, thinking about other players that uh, could uh, get that uh, distinction. Uh, it's it's really funny that uh, we talk about uh, you know retired numbers, but I, those two I would have no argument with, and I think uh, further down the line, depending on uh, what happens in the future with the Hurricanes, if they were to somehow uh, possibly win another Stanley Cup uh, under uh, the captaincy of a of a guy like Jordan, yeah. Ball, obviously, uh, someday you project ahead, and you'd like to think number twenty. Uh, we'll go into the rafters for Sebastian Ajo uh, at some point. But in the near future, uh, I wouldn't have any any qualms of seeing uh, 12 and 30 in the rafters, that's for sure. Chuck Caton, you're the best. I appreciate your time. I will talk to you very soon. Uh, a Hall of Famer in his own right and well-deserved for you. Uh, talk to you down the road. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, we're going to get out of here. Appreciate Chuck Caton. Appreciate your time. Uh, we will be back early next week with a look at Carolina's prospects, including Jack Drury. You'll hear from Jack Drury and also Mark Seidel, from, uh, who is a, a, a pro scout, director of player personnel, uh, and runs a scouting service uh, that NHL teams use a lot. So we'll talk to him about Carolina's prospects uh, as we get ready for the draft. Until then, see ya. This has been the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can listen to this podcast at WRALsportsband.com or wherever you get your podcasts.